so important for us to be able to build that foundational customer 360 and be able to stitch all of these journey data across all of these channels that will tell us the events that are happening over time. We are very consciously building out this North Star architecture and as we build that out, we're laying out a foundational data architecture that will allow us to gather all of this data and really stitch it for, this, for these journeys. Welcome to the Data Chief. Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Today's guest is Radha Sankaran, the Executive Director of Advanced Analytics AI and ML at Verizon. Radha is a technology executive with more than 24 years of hands-on leadership experience. She has a proven track record in fast-paced and quality-driven product delivery and has led and managed high-performance teams in the telecom and wireless industry for 4G LTE, IoT, and 5G technologies. Today, Radha joined Cindy to share that expertise. She and Cindy discussed the benefits of personalizing customer experience, including why personalization is Verizon's number one priority moving forward. Radha also shares her strategies for empowering frontline decision makers with data in a way that helps rather than overwhelms how to protect customers' privacy while putting their data to best use, and what women in tech should know to succeed and break the glass ceiling. Enjoy that and more on today's episode with Radha Sankaran. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and Medtronic use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. This week on The Data Chief, I'm pleased to be joined with Radha Sankaran from Verizon. Radha, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Good. And and you're joining from not too far from me, right? Yes. Yes. In Basingridge, New Jersey. Yes. All good AI and data and analytics people come from New Jersey, even though the Silicon Valley people like to think differently. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> So, Radha, you have such an interesting role, the Executive Director for Advanced Analytics, AI, and Machine Learning at Verizon, but also really focused on personalization and customer experience at Verizon. Tell us a little bit about your role. Yeah, absolutely. So, as you know, we rolled out VZ 2.0 with 2019, the focus really that our executives wanted to have was on customer experience, which never really existed before, right? Most of our experiences were very channel-based and channel-focused. We had channel KPIs. Each of the channels were focused on those KPIs. So the customer experience organization and the chief customer experience officer was instituted primarily to look at it from that perspective. And her role has been to a large extent to look at how we enable a North Star architecture from a technology perspective as well, working with our global technology services organization, but leverage data at the core to personalize 
experiences for our customers. And that's where my role came into existence, where, you know, the whole idea is how do we look at data and determine the right areas of opportunities and how can we truly personalize, do one-to-one personalization for our customers. Right. So we are seeing that customer experience is really the number one use case. None of us mm-hmm. exist without mm-hmm. our customers. But for people listening who are not so familiar with the different Verizon channels, when you talk about it being channel-based, can you elaborate? So are we talking wire and wireline or consumer and business? Well, this yeah. When I meant channel-based, I really meant customers walking into our retail stores versus customers going online versus customers calling into our call centers, right? Or leveraging our uh, MyVerizon app. As part of VZ 2.0, you're absolutely right. Because the focus was on the customers, we have been broken down into consumer and B2B. You know, my organization and this chief customer experience officer that I was talking about, we are part of consumer. We have something very similar for the B2B space. But what I'm going to talk about and what I am really focused on is from a consumer perspective. So when I say channels, I mean each of those engagement channels that our customers interact with us, right? And it could be via email, via SMS, you know, calling into our call centers could be engaging with our app, engaging with our chat box, you know, walking into a retail store. It could be any one of those. So each one of those, we were only looking at it from a channel perspective instead of stepping back and saying, how do I look at experience holistically for my customer across any channel, irrespective of how they engage with us or we engage with them? Right. So I have to say, first off, uh, 17-year loyal Verizon customer. So thank awesome. you. For, <laughs> awesome. Thank you for keeping me in touch with my daughter, for the homeschooling, for my son. All we of that. value but, your business. <laughs> we value um, your business. Yeah. And I'm sure you can see some funny things. Like I only walk into the store and yet my husband and kids would only engage with you via the app. So that's interesting. You you now could see us from the family plan, a consistent view of the customer through all these channels. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So a bold vision for personalization. And yet personalization, one of my financial services customers pushed back and said, Cindy, with all this regulation, both GDPR, CCP, and more likely to come in 2021, it's and and now even with Apple removing uh, some of the visibility mm-hmm. that we had on on what mm-hmm. we're doing on our phones, how do you in, get to that level of personalization while still protecting people's privacy? Absolutely, I mean that is privacy, security, all of that is the core of what we do. Every data that we have today, take the base customers, it's really how customers are engaging with us, right? It's data about their journey. It's data about, you know, their experience in the, in our network. It's data about, you know, their profile, their preferences, which they have shared with us. So it's, it's really leveraging different pieces of this data to create, you know, that holistic customer 360 for that customer so that you can really know and 
in a lot of cases, when they engage with us, be able to be predictive and prescriptive. And I'll give you an example, right? We What we're trying to do is not take customers' personal data that's going to impact them, but really their journey with us. For example, a customer, say, you know, went online and ordered a phone and leveraged a promo and wants to do a trade-in. These are points and events in their journey that we are capturing and we are aware of. It's really taking that data and stitching it all together and being able to preemptively let them know if for any reason we've had, say, a system issue and their promo has fallen off and the promo hasn't applied properly. And if they reach out to us, we want to be able to know and tell them, yes, we understand that this has happened and here is the remediation or here is the plan for it, right? A lot of times it does happen that customers forget. Like to, I was just in a call where, you know, we were talking about reasons customer escalate. So we know where, you know, there's a customer that actually forgot that they had a tablet and associated devices in their account, right? They disconnected the phone but didn't realize that they had all of these other things that they were getting billed for and ended up calling and escalating and being irate about that, right? So these are things now that we know about the customer and we can be proactive and even reactive, right? We really want to get to a proactive situation where we can do those moments that matter for our customers and be able to leverage data their service revenue with us, et cetera, and be able to personalize it in a very knowledgeable way, but not make it creepy in any way yeah. or you know, shape or form. So privacy is absolutely the core of everything that we do. All our data goes through the stringent CCRA and CPA guidelines, everything that needs to be done. Every model we build goes through legal and security compliance rules so that we make sure that, you know, we stay on top of it, everything that we do. Yeah, that's great. So I like this phrase, moments that matter. And we often say customers are willing to share their data with you if you make it useful yes. to them, like the customer you described saying, hey, you have all these other devices. Absolutely. Even something like a late fee, you know, we've realized a lot of customers don't realize they have set up their account for paperless billing and say the credit card has expired for some reason, right? Credit card expires and they don't realize, but they think they've set it up for paperless and they, you know, they shouldn't be charged for the bill. And then two months lapse and then they get this huge bill and they're shocked. Right. So we want to be able to preempt those things, that there is a payment decline, and here's the reason the payment has declined. And this is all data that we know about the customer journey, right? And let them know ahead of time and personalize it for them. And even if it does happen, how do we forgive that late fee for our longstanding customers and our loyal customers? So it's things like that that we want to really do and personalize for them. Right. So that's good. So the other thing you mentioned is that you just laid out this transformation journey in 2019. Mm-hmm. What for personalization specifically, but or customer 360, what was the impetus for this? And how would you say one year later things are actually going? The impetus really was 
we want to be as famous for our experiences as we are for our network. That's really the mantra for us, right? I mean, if you, even today, right, be it the 5G, we are the front runners there. And we've always been very, very famous for our network from our early days. So we want to be able to speak to our experiences in the same fashion. And that was really what gave birth to this uh, customer experience organization. And I think it has really, really helped because if you see in the past year, year and a half, we have gone up in our NPS by over nine points year over year. That's great. Yeah. Great. So so some people don't know NPS, even yes. though they should. Uh, tell us what that is. Yeah. So it's really the next promoter score where we run our surveys with our customers to understand different areas. And we ask them questions on various areas, be it the network, you know, the value of the network, the billing experience, you know, different journey experiences. We get their input. And then a score is, it's really run by Bain and it's a very standard, you know, methodology that's used for all, all the companies, the telecom companies. And that's how a score is defined for us, right? So in that score, and we're really, really getting very, very close to the topmost competitor. And we have come a long ways. As I said, nine points year over year is really, really fantastic news. Yeah. And that has come only because of our laser focus on the customer experience and leveraging data and algorithmic insights to drive it. Yeah. So I do think for some organizations, just to move it one or two points, it, it takes a year. So to do it nine points in a year is yes. pivotal. So when you laid, you know, a lot of organizations say, Cindy, what should be in a, in a data strategy? Or we've been trying to do this digital transformation and we get blocked sometimes mm-hmm. by the people, sometimes by the process, sometimes too much tech. What were some of the new challenges you faced and what's been one of the harder ones? Yes. I think the hardest one has been data. As I said, right, all our systems have been built uh, primarily with a very siloed channel focus, right? And so the systems and, and hence the data from each of these systems flows in that same fashion. For us to take that step back and say, how do I provide a omni-channel experience for my customers? It's so important for us to be able to build that foundational customer 360 and be able to stitch all of these journey data across all of these channels that will tell us the events that are happening over time. And that has been, you know, our fundamental and foundational challenge. But a lot of that we have overcome by a foundational North Star architecture that has been established. And we are marching towards that. Uh, very diligently, where we are making sure we have a systems of record and you have a centralized experience platform sitting on top of that. And then a systems of engagement that's powered both by the centralized experience platform and the systems of insights with the centralized positioning layer. So we are very consciously building out this North Star architecture. And as we build that out, we're laying out a foundational data architecture that will allow us to gather all of this data and really stitch it for this for these journeys. Okay, so a North Star architecture 
capturing all the data at the different points in the journey. What has been the role of the cloud, at least to date, or do you envision in the future in this? Yeah, I mean, cloud is foundational for us, right, in really all of our systems. Our systems are, as we are migrating to this North Star architecture, we are also migrating our systems onto the cloud, where we want to be able to ensure that as we migrate to the cloud, we also want to make sure that we have good resiliency, you know, on-prem as well. So, the team, the our GTS organization is building out a comprehensive cloud strategy on how we can, as we migrate to the cloud, also have a hybrid on-prem strategy hybrid. that will allow us, yeah, that will allow us to straddle both spheres. And for organizations who, so we know from survey data, only 30% of organizations have already moved to the cloud. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Another two thirds, it's, it's down the road or they're trying to get there. How long do you envision it will take to establish this North Star architecture or to get to your full cloud hybrid operating model? Well, the cloud hybrid operating model, I think, will be definitely an ongoing process for us. In terms of our, you know, establishing the North Star architecture, we really want to be able to get there by end of 2021, uh, for sure, where we have migrated all of our BAU legacy systems into this new architecture. So that is definitely on track for us by end of 2021 to get there. And now, did you only start that in 2019 with this new initiative or had you started earlier? No, we started it in 2019. So two years, that is fast. That is relatively fast. Some large, large organizations will tell me it's a two to five to 10 year journey. Was it accelerated either just because of this new strategy or because of COVID? Yeah. No, well, it has been accelerated a lot because of the focus on this new strategy. Because you have a team, the team that my VP leads is focused on platform strategy. So, you know, while my team is primarily focused on the systems of insights and the centralized positioning platform, right, as part of that North Star architecture, I have my peer who's focused on that entire centralized experience platform layer. And then you have a team that's focused on all the engagement channels. How do we bring these experiences together? So really the CX team's focus is to march towards getting there so that we can reap the benefits that we need to. Yeah, great. And, you know, there's so much going on in the technology landscape, but we always say you've got to align to the business outcomes. You've set your business outcomes. Was it almost that when you were seeing the impact on NPS scores, the company could say, well, clearly that impacts then revenues. And so it was validation. Yes, it's validation. See, here's the thing, right? For us, to be able to measure NPS in a tangible fashion is not very easy, right? It's not easy to really measure NPS. You know, I can't say, okay, if I make this change in my experience, it's going to result in an X percent increase in NPS. You hope. You hope it will. But it's a hypothesis. 
It's a hypothesis, right? So we take, you know, uh, high-level KPIs. So one of the things that we focused on is building out something called a quality experience core, which is kind of a leading indicator to NPS. So, you know, we leverage that as we are building out, you know, and we are looking, doing analytics and looking at opportunities. We look at opportunities to see, okay, what do we think the QES lift will be for this? What do we think the revenue lift will be for this? And what will be the cost reduction in the process? We don't want to compromise customer experience, but at the same time, we are a business and we need to run a business, right? So we have to kind of measure and it's like now a three-pronged approach for us. It's revenue accretion, cost reduction, and NPS sits in the center for us really to measure this across the board for our customers. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, another, I, I recently heard you and your colleague, Anil, talking about one of the components of this North Star architecture is an internal AI marketplace. Is yes. this the data or the algorithms or both? It's all the algorithms that we are building from the underlying data that we have. So the AI marketplace is really, it's almost like an API store. We are democratizing all the AI that we are building and we are democratizing to a large extent all the propositions, the personalized propositions that we are putting out there in our different channels. We want it to be out there where the business teams can see what kinds of personalization, which channels we are offering. Each time the business team decides, I need to offer this new proposition for our customers, they know what's existing and they know they shouldn't replicate it. So it's really a marketplace for you to go, view, consume, understand, and then build new. Okay. And so love the idea of getting uh, the broader consumption so that each channel or business unit doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. But you also said understand. So Mm -hmm. what role does explainable AI and making these algorithms transparent play? Like, will only the data scientists understand how the AI is working? Or are you trying to also make it so that the the business champions understand it as well? Oh, absolutely. This is all so that you have the business teams understand it as well. Everything that we do, we're taking a business problem, trying to understand it, and then figure out how we can leverage technology, data, AI, and technology to solve that business problem. And then we hand it off to GTS to go execute it. That's how this whole thing works, right? Now, the way we have democratized the AI marketplaces, it's all written in layman terms. So, for example, you know, if there's a bill shock model, there's a description of what the model does. There's a, you know, it it shows what the input parameters are, etc. Now, a business person can read that and understand what a bill shock model will do. However, they will work very closely with my ML product owners who are core data scientists really and say, hey, can I, here's the business problem I want to solve. Can I reuse this existing bill shock model or do we need to modify it, right? And that's where my ML product owners really help mapping the two and then having that executed. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm just chuckling here. I even like the title, the Bill Shock model. I I think my son uh, inflicted one of those on us. 
<laughs> too, too much video streaming, you know, when the power yeah. was out or what. Yes. Um, yes. But you've also mentioned the GTS group a couple of times. And a number of organizations I work with, we look at their organizational models, and sometimes there's tension between what the business or let's say customer experience wants to do and who owns the data uh, working with IT, which I guess is the GTS groups. How have you evolved that over time and how do you divide and conquer and make it a true partnership? You know, that's, that's a very, very interesting question, right? Because prior to 2019, my entire journey in Verizon has been with the GTS organization. So I came from the GTS organization when I was asked to come and lead this team, right? Because it did require a fair amount of technical expertise to be able to lead this organization on the business side. So initially, there was there was a lot of tension between the teams because the feeling was, okay, is there going to be a shadow IT organization that started right. off here, right? And for that, I really want to call out RCXO. You know, it's run by a woman, Aparna Kudrekar. And I have to say the shadow she cast as a leader is really what helped us in this journey. And by that, what I mean is, you know, for the first time, I've actually seen a business leader work together with an IT leader, where the IT leader has a seat at the table. You're working as true partners together because it's a shared success. Yeah. That has, at least all the years that I have been in a technology organization, I never have really seen that happen. And I think that is what has helped diffuse a lot of the tension, allowed us to build out those roles and responsibilities. And because this is a brand new organization that was stood up, right? I mean, everything was new. I mean, I got a brand new team. I didn't know this team from spot. I was learning what this team was capable of. All of us were learning in the process. And she was very inclusive in bringing the teams together and really making us work with each other, trying to figure out where the boundaries lay. You know, I won't say we have in nirvana. I think there will always be that creative friction between the two teams. But I think we have really, this journey, you know, has been great in the sense we've both learned each other's strengths. They have understood the strengths that my organization brings to the table. I am fully, you know, privy to what they bring to the table. And we've come to a good understanding and it's going to be a journey and we continue to be that journey. But I truly believe it's the leaders that really set the tone for this. And I have to say RCXO has done a phenomenal job with that. That's good. Creative friction is a good thing, but it sounds like three key ingredients is that you had that cross-fertilization. So um, changing roles in the org, giving IT a seat at the table, not just that order taker. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes. And and then a leader that is really being inclusive and building these bridges. Yep. A study that that ThoughtSpot and Harvard Business Review co-sponsored Uh, last year talked about empowering the frontline decision maker. And it sounds like Verizon agrees with this approach. Um, And if you think just even whether it's your call center operator or manager or the other channel, the stores, 
that I might go to. How have you been able to drive that change, getting frontline people actually to value data and AI at all? Yeah, and that's really, again, a good question, right? Because the thing with the frontline employees is they're always overwhelmed with the amount of data we regurgitate and throw in front of them, right? And that's where a lot of what my team does makes, you know, it has value. Because what we are doing now is taking all of this different data, the insights and the data that we have about the customer and honing in on what is that right next best action or the right next best offer for the or the right next best X, whatever the NBX is for that customer, right? Presenting it both to the customer as well as to the reps you know, as they are dealing with the employee, with the with customers. So you really, you know, getting them to, okay, this is the right next best thing based on everything we see about that customer. So we want to surface that up for the reps, which is what we are doing. You know, we surface that up so that they can take the conversation from there. So it also means, for example, they would know if this customer has already gone to digital and has done a few things and has the issue isn't resolved. And we know this is the issue. We want to surface it up for the rep and say, don't you know, send that customer back to digital, resolve it. Here's the issue. Here's the right next best action for this customer. Handle them with care and make sure that it is resolved. So it's really NBX, that evolution from taking data, AI, you know, being now prescriptive with your NBX is the key. Yeah, honing in and and what is the action that will make their job better? Yes. So the customer's not shouting at them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and and Rada, you've had such an illustrious career and progression at Verizon mm-hmm. um, over the years. Was there ever a point in which you thought this project is just too hard or or what they're asking me to do will just be a spectacular failure and I can't do it? I'm beyond. You know, no. Honestly, I, I've never felt that with anything so far, not on wood. <laughs> um, you know, with what I have dealt um, in, in Verizon, even coming into this brand new role, as I said, doing something like this does not exist in Verizon, right? Yeah, I've never done it before. I, as I said, and I was acquiring a brand new team. Of course, it's a phenomenal team. I've learned so much from them, and I'm, a ho- I'm hoping they from me in the process. I don't think we have ever, or I have ever reached. A point where I've said, mm, this is going to be a massive failure. I don't think we should do this. Or moments of doubt. Maybe not the spectacular failure, but moments of doubt either for you or from your team members. And how do you how do you push them forward? Yeah, oh yeah. There is a project right now, which I'm not sure I can talk about openly because it's still at a nascent stage, where my team is a little uh, They are not fully aligned or should I say they're not fully convinced that we are not already doing that, right? So the way I am trying to drive alignment with them is really making them understand how this is going to be different 
in terms of personalization compared to what we're doing today. While we're doing a next best experience today, we want to really go that next level and guide our customers. You know, so my point to them is it's really convincing them of how slightly different this is from what we do today. So mm. the way I bring them along is trying to, and, and, you know, I have a team that's very analytical in their minds because they deal with data, right, all the time. It's data and analytics and, um, you know, they're, they're very good at execution as well. So, yeah, they they tend to be a little skeptical at times, but it's really convincing unless they are able to convince me otherwise, right? But I, I'm very open in taking input. I It doesn't matter whether it's coming from my team, from my boss, you know, it's just being open to the suggestions and the ideas that they are bringing to the table and what their perspective is in that. Yeah. And then making them understand what my perspective is. Yeah. Skepticism is a good thing. I'd rather hear it before than, yes. you know, nine yes. months and millions of dollars in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that's kind of the culture that you're willing to respect and listen to everyone's opinion, yes. no matter the role, no matter yes. the level. Yes. Yes. And and I guess that would also lead to diversity of thought. And yes. you, uh, you know, in tech, you started as an electrical engineer. Is that right? I am. Yes. yes. Electrical engineer. I actually, when I worked in India, just to give you a very quick overview, I used to design large power and furnace transformers. You know, these are transformers that are used by power stations, et cetera, right? And I, I used to actually design work in the shop floor, uh, doing transformer, you know, coil design, et cetera. So that's where yeah. I started. And then I did chip design for almost five years after my master's, designed HDTV chips, demodulated chips for HDTV, which was way ahead of its time. And it was with AT&T, actually, the labs. Wow. Uh, that, that I worked, yeah. yes. And then I've had an IT background throughout until now, where, you know, it's, I'm straddling both worlds now. Yeah. So first off, I could imagine the field, one of whom is my neighbor, is a Verizon um, field worker. They must have so much respect for you because you get it. You you know how all this really Yes. truly works. Yes. But you're you're so you're a modern day Ada Lovelace, probably. Um how how did you it, and and you did your undergraduate in India, how did you navigate being a woman in a technical field, a minority then and still really now? Yeah. Good question again. And and I will uh, tell you actually in India, you know, but in my undergrad school, I was we were four girls in a class of 72. So four. All four, four. Four girls. Okay. In a class of 72. Okay. So you can imagine it's 68 yes. boys and four girls, right? So that was tough. Being in that environment was tough because, you know, you were judged. You were, it, it was, it was difficult. It was just yeah. difficult because there were so few um, you know, in, in that environment. Yeah. But working in India, I have to tell you this, my three years that I worked in India was a phenomenal experience. I was, again, I was a woman in a very fast path uh, because I was really one of three women who were doing this job in that company. 
And so they were very appreciative of how passionate I was and how quickly I could get it and, you know, how I was working. So it was a great experience, really. I would say my biggest struggle was the time that I was with AT&T, Lucent, and Avaya. I think there, while I was very well recognized as a pioneer in what I was doing and very technically strong, etc., it was very hard to break that glass ceiling for me. It was very, very tough. And what year was this? What time period? This was from 1994 till 2007. Okay. So those 13 years were difficult. It was it was very frustrating and disappointing that I was not able to break the, that glass ceiling at all. Uh, it was very difficult. 2007, I joined Verizon. And I have to say, Verizon has been phenomenal in offering me various opportunities at various points in time and allowing me to grow and shine in the roles that I have. Yeah. So, you know, Verizon has been phenomenal from that perspective for me. Yeah. And Verizon is consistently written about for some of the top cultures Mm -hmm. that you have, but you had to leave. So sometimes leaving is what is required to grow. You also, you know, uh, many... Many uh, women in this space, very senior in their organizations, but also those just starting out would look up to you and say, wow, I want to make that happen. And yet you have spoken about how sometimes it was hard to raise your hand (laughs) in school. How have you learned to raise your hand throughout life? The way, uh, and I'm going to be very honest, you can't be sensitive. Because even in school, you raise your hand, you're ridiculed, um, you know, you're made fun of. So you have to be bold. You have to be resilient. You have to be thick-skinned. Oh, no. Okay. I'm failing miserably. I'm sensitive and thin-skinned. <laughs> yeah, I, I, know. I can and be is, bold, though. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it is, it is not easy. And as I mentor a lot of the women within the young women in uh, IT in Verizon, that's what I keep telling them, you know, don't withhold. It's okay. It's okay if you've made some missteps and it's okay to ask questions, and but don't let it deter you in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And I, I think that's very, very important. And I think that's very important in any role, actually, Cindy, I realized I have a daughter who just turned 21. She is a rising senior at American University. She's majoring in uh, journalism. And she was telling me, so she has been, she has to take a coding class. This is the first time she's doing that. Now, she is um, a very, she's a fairly shy kid, um, you know, and sensitive as well. And she told me this past weekend that, you know, when she went to her professor and she tried to ask him a few questions, because now with this remote learning, it's hard. Yeah. You know, it's so hard, right? And she doesn't have the basic uh, understanding of coding, she's not a computer science major. And so he basically, you know, was very flippant and said, why don't you ask these questions in class? And Mm. she said, because, you know, I feel a little intimidated because some of the kids who are in this class are actually computer science majors or, you know, engineering majors, right? 
So she said, I feel a little, you know, intimidated. And he immediately turned to her and said, yeah, that's because they are smarter than you are. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We need, uh, that's not good. That's not a good professor right there or a good habit. Or, Or I'll say maybe he was having a bad day. They're stressed out too, but that's not good. Exactly. Whatever it is, whether he was having a bad day, whether, you know, he's good or not. And she she actually said he's a very good professor, right? Mm. And um, so when he said that, she was so taken aback and she said, okay, um, you know, and she retracted. I told her you should not retract and you, you have to go back to him and tell him, irrespective of whether I'm good at this or not, I'm making an attempt to be good at this. And I'd really appreciate if you can help me so that, you know, I can gain that confidence to be able to speak up in class. So the point I'm trying to make is this is one of the reasons why, Cindy, I honestly think in this country, we have so many females, gender, not opting in for technology related, you know, courses or going into engineering or in STEM because they just feel intimidated and if you're especially if you're you know very sensitive about these things it becomes very very difficult and I really think you know there needs to be that encouragement and not you know deterring girls in these in these areas oh for sure and and we I work a lot on this and ThoughtSpot does and to me if we don't get this right this is where we have AI bias at scale but I'm going to send for you, your daughter, one of our interns and MBA student actually wrote why we should stop teaching coding and go to these low code or no code platforms for data and analytics. So yes, um, yes. Yeah, you, I'm sure you'll tell your daughter to, to hang in there. Um, yes. So you mentor, you mentor so many people um, who, who, where do you draw your inspiration from and how do you keep up with all the things going on in the industry? Um, I draw my inspiration from several people. There are several folks within Verizon. As I said, our CXO is one of them that I do draw a lot of inspiration from. So let so let's hear let's hear the names because then everyone will start following them on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. Aparna Surjaker. Thank you. I draw my inspiration from her. Ronan's a very, Ronan Dunn, our CEO, is a very, very inspirational leader. I love Tammy, Tammy Irvin. Um, I do uh, draw a lot of inspiration from her, considering, you know, all that she has done. Hans, even though I don't know him too well, I think just the different culture that he has brought into Verizon is so inspirational about him. You know, it's a very, very different culture that we are part of today. And I love that. It's about kindness. It's about taking care of yourself. It's just about inclusion and social awareness and bringing all of that together is so important, you know, and bringing that focus for us as a company. Uh, All of these people are very inspirational from a personal front my sister is a tremendous inspiration for me she's been my older sister she is her name is Maithili Shankaran same last name first name is Maithili she's actually started a company a non-profit organization now she's dabbled on several things she's very entrepreneurial but the organization she's just started is called Netri Netri means women okay in Sanskrit. And it is basically an organization that is for South Asian women 
and empowering South Asian women, you know, in their field. So she's really bringing together South Asian women at all levels. Um, you know, doesn't matter if you're just a student in college, all the way up to you know a CXO or a CEO, bringing them together to drive inspiration from each other, learn from each other and grow as a process and, you know, be able to network as well. Yeah, that's great. I think it's a tremendous, um, uh, you know, uh, initiative. And she just never ceases to amaze me with everything that she does day in and day out. Yeah. Congratulations to your sister. We'll be sure to include those links in yes. the takeaway notes for the the podcast but you did mention the Verizon culture a couple times and I know one of the campaigns leading up to the holidays that I quite liked was the be kind um the other one was was the bold move during the early days of the pandemic Verizon could have furloughed some workers yes. you know as we had the late payments yes. but instead yes. chose to upskill Yes. Um, offering training to, I believe it was 20,000 employees. Yes. Or So did that surprise you? And what were the top skills they trained in? Oh, but, you know, they were basically what was happening was, you know, we were shutting down our retail uh, stores, right? It was very important for us to take those uh, personnel and see how best they would fit. So they were trained in different teams. Each of us were all approached to see how we could leverage some of them. Uh, you know, we, um, you know, my team also leveraged a couple of people from the retail stores for us to understand what are those typical pain points they experience there. And so that they could give us insights as well to see how we could improve experiences and take what customers come into the retail store and be able to serve them digitally from that as well. So they were deployed in various places, you know, within our call centers, within, you know, telesales centers. They were, you know, leveraged to be able, and also to be able to do like video appointments, et cetera, and video conversations with customers and help them. So they were trained in various different areas uh, to be able to, just serve our customers, uh, you know, in, in different ways. I, yeah, that was just very, very thoughtful. And uh, I think it was fantastic. Yeah, no, that's great. So Radha, we've covered so much ground in this call. If I think about the key takeaways, it's customer experience is the most important across all the channels. So that omni-channel customer 360, it's looking for the moments that matter I love that you use leading indicators um, and focusing really on the next best action, NBX. Don't be so thin-skinned. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if so, um, is there a final one you want to add? You know, really at, at the point that I made earlier, right, we want to be as famous for our experiences as we are for our network. And, you know, my final say to all of those women out there and girls out there wanting to get in STEM, into STEM, be bold, move forward. Don't let anything hold you back. That's great advice. So Radha, I always like to end with a question um, really around gratitude as we all try to build resilience and be kinder. But if you think beyond just the typical answer, what are you most grateful for? Just everything, Cindy. Grateful, uh, you know, uh, for my health, my family's health, 
grateful for my friends and family who have been just such a rock throughout. Grateful to Verizon for giving me all the opportunities that they have so far. So just grateful for everything. So well said, Radha. Well, I'm grateful that you could share your time with everyone today. Thank you, Radha. Absolutely. Thank you. Grateful, you know, that you chose to pick me to have this conversation. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it. (laughs) Me too. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. That's C-I-N-D-I Housen. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.